Let's turn our attention this evening to talk about identifying and cultivating maturity. Uh, this is a topic that sprang up in a Q&A that we had with the youth and youth parents at the end of our last semester. So it was, I believe, the first Wednesday night in December. Um, I was talking to Pastor Mark in this Q&A and, and asking him how he evaluates his teenagers and their, their maturity and their readiness. And specifically in the context, it was their readiness for dating and marriage. And he gave six categories of maturity. Spiritual maturity physical maturity, mental, academic, or I called it intellectual maturity, social maturity, emotional maturity, and financial maturity. And I thought these six categories were so helpful that I've taken the entirety of this semester uh, to devote to uh, fleshing out the biblical content on these categories with the teens. And as I was asking Pastor Mark what would be most helpful for me to devote our Sunday evenings to in the month of April... He encouraged me to tackle this topic and to draw it out a bit more than I am with the teens of how not only that you can identify maturity in your own life and identify maturity in the lives of your children, identify maturity in the lives of those that you would disciple and minister the word of God to. also want to help you uh, learn to cultivate maturity. So, so maturity, we will define it as we get into our study together tonight, but there is a, a spectrum of maturity in the sense that we are working towards the goal of what the scripture says is maturity, completeness, wholeness. But we are all on that path to get there, all at varying degrees and in these categories of maturity. And the scripture uh, is the resource to equip us to be mature. So what I'd like to do for our four evenings services in April is consider how we may identify and cultivate maturity in our own lives, in the lives of those under our influence, our children, and those we disciple. So to set up our study together this evening, uh, I, I want us to, first of all, consider what the biblical teaching of maturity is. How do we identify maturity in our lives? And then uh, I do not have the time tonight to get into cultivating that maturity, but you will certainly hear implications of doing so as we make our way through our study. Let's begin with the obvious question. What is maturity? Maturity is at the very heart of our philosophy of ministry here at Saving Grace Bible Church. As you entered through those double doors tonight, you walked under a verse. That verse, Colossians 1.28, kind of crystallizes our goal as a ministry. We proclaim Him. Then he gives some participles describing how we proclaim Christ. What does the, the process of that look like? But listen to the goal. So that we may present every man complete in Christ. Term for maturity in the New Testament is that term complete. The NIV translates it as mature. The King James and many others translate it as perfect. The Christian Standard Bible as mature. It is the Greek term teleos. It comes from a, a word family that conveys the idea of wholeness or completeness. It's usually translated throughout the New Testament as perfect or complete. It is used to describe something that is lacking in nothing. It is full. It is, it is, it is complete. It is finished. It is mature. In secular Greek, it was used to describe someone reaching 
a high level of competence or proficiency. So you could have someone who has this, this term teleos, mature as a doctor, or someone who is mature as a teacher, or even mature as a thief. What would that mean? Whatever their trade is, they are skilled in it. They are proficient. This isn't their first day on the job. They are uh, trained and proficient. They are perfect or complete in their training in this area. This is also the root word of Christ's words on the cross in John 19.30. It is finished. Speaking of the, the completion, the fulfillment of his sacrificial work, his sacrificial offering to the Father. In ordinary use, it came to denote adult behavior, maturity, the opposite of childishness. I want to fly through some verses in the New Testament and, and demonstrate how it is used. So look with me first at uh, 1 Corinthians 14.20. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 20. Here you'll hear the comparison. Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. Hear the contrast here. Between the one who is a child in their thinking and the one who is mature in their thinking. A child's thinking is often driven by impulse or emotion. They're, they're not capable of capable of considering all of the factors and arriving at the best solution. So in this sense, the, the immaturity here is, is someone who is untrained or, or undeveloped. It's the child who is, who is not developed into mature. We've got another one, uh, Ephesians chapter 4. It shows up in verse 13. You're familiar with Ephesians 4? This is Christ's gift to his church, his gifts to his church to equip the saints. This is how the church grows spiritually. We'll pick up in verse 11. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. And here's our word. To a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Listen to the contrast in verse 14. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. What does he mean here? A mature man contrasted in verse 14 with no longer to be children. Uh, the contrast here is, is clear. A, a child is unequipped. Uh, they are not able to stand firm with, when faced with what Paul says in, in verse 14 as, as false doctrine. They're, they're carried about, they're tossed by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. Their undeveloped or underdeveloped discernment 
results in complete instability. So in this sense, we are to grow up in Christ as we're equipped by the Word of God to be mature, to be able to stand firm, to to grow up into the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Just think in that maturity, you are you are fully developed, you are fully equipped, you are fully mature. Then the, the youth are not surprised by this next. Turn to Hebrews five. Hebrews five, the author of Hebrews also gives us this term for maturity and gives us a similar contrast. Look at Hebrews five verse thirteen. says, for everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. 14, but solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. What is he drawing out for us? Look at verse 13, this description of those who partake only of milk. He says this one is an infant who is unaccustomed, or I would translate this as unskilled, in the word of righteousness. What does this imply? They're only able to partake of milk, in contrast to verse 14, solid food. And this one who is, who is only able to feast on milk is not skilled in the word of righteousness. They're not skilled in application of the word of God. So they're, they're not able to consume a depth and they're not able to apply the truth in the moment. Look at the contrast, verse 14. But solid food is for the mature. The mature is the one who is is feasting to great depths. Their, their appetite for the Scripture is one of, of hunger for greater and greater riches of depth and doctrine. They want to know God through His Word. Notice also, they, solid food is for the mature who are practiced and trained. He says, because of practice. This term for practice describes the exercise or constant use of something. They have practice to the point of proficiency. This person is skilled. They're capable. Why are they capable? Because they've had this constant exercise, this constant use of something. This term trained is similar here. He says because of practice, they have their senses trained. Trained is the, the same root from which we derive our English word for gymnastics. It describes the systematic training by multiple repetitions. But the focus is not so much on the training as the result of training. What do I mean by this? This term for trained is not the process of working out. It is the muscles that are the result of working out. It it is not the process, but the result. So one who is mature has acquired sufficient experience through practice and training and now they're proficient. They're capable. They have this hunger and depth for the knowledge of the Word of God. And they're not just growing in intellectual understanding of what is being said. They're growing in their ability to, he says here, discernment. They're able to see the truth clearly. So let's define maturity from the, these New Testament uses that we've looked at here. Maturity describes the condition of being fully developed, fully trained, fully equipped, 
and fully functional to fulfill one's purpose. I had to give all four of those descriptions to fit all of these passages that are speaking of maturity. I'm sure a wordsmith could come up with something much more concise. But here, this idea of being fully developed, fully trained, fully equipped, fully functional, and it's ultimately for a purpose. It is to fulfill one's purpose. So just going through those six categories that we're going to look at in the coming weeks, spiritual maturity would be the condition of being fully equipped by the Word of God to discern truth and to apply it. That's spiritual maturity. They they are now at the place where they're equipped by the Scripture to, to see with clarity the truth and not just know what God says in the moment, but actually apply it. Yield in faith in the moment. Spiritual maturity. Physical maturity. This is the condition of being fully developed in your body. The idea of full development here. Intellectual maturity. The condition of being fully functional in your thinking. I use that term there, fully functional, because it is that of applying the mind. It is is utilizing the mind, growing in knowledge. Social maturity. The condition of being fully developed in your relationships. This has reached the point of of biblical clarity in God's purpose in your relationships and how you are to interact and the, the ways that you are to respond to others' actions and all of our social relationships. Emotional maturity is the condition of being fully equipped to control one's emotions. No matter what comes your way, you're not responding impulsively in the moment You're not responding the natural way your flesh would have, but the one who is emotionally mature has a, a, they're fully equipped. They're able to control their emotions in the moment. Financial maturity, the condition of being fully functional in your financial stewardship. It's not to say everyone has the same financial means, but rather they are using those means as faithful stewards that God has entrusted this to them. For the remainder of our time this evening, let's turn our attention to the Proverbs. We will primarily be in Proverbs 1, in the first seven verses, but as you can tell with a a topical message like this, we will need to jump around a bit. In Proverbs 1 through 9, Solomon sits down with his sons and seeks to instruct them on the path that leads to maturity. If If you were to crystallize Solomon's goal in Proverbs 1 through 9, he wants his sons to be mature. That's the goal. We'll see the the terms he uses for it, but just let me demonstrate that to you for a moment. There is a distinction in the book of Proverbs between chapters 1 through 9 and chapters 10 and following. You notice in verse 1 of Proverbs 1, he, he begins with the heading, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. Chapter 10, verse 1, also begins with another heading. But let me just show you this theme of Solomon instructing his boys here in these first nine chapters. Now, you don't have to look at all these, but if your Bible is open before you, you can just glance down and see how many times he addresses his sons. In chapter 1, verse 8, my son. Verse 10, my son. Verse 15, my son. Chapter 2, verse 1 begins... My son, if you will receive my words. Chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching. 3, verse 11. 
3, verse 21. He repeats it again. Chapter 4, verse 1. Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father. Chapter 4, verse 10 and verse 20. says, my son again. Chapter 5, verse 1. Chapter 5, verse 20, my son. Chapter 6, verse 1. Verse 3, verse 20. Chapter 7, verse 1. Chapter 7, verse 24, my sons. And then chapter 8, verse 32, O sons, listen to me. Solomon's goal here is to impart God's wisdom into the lives of his sons so that they will reach this condition of being mature. And you notice I I mentioned before there's a heading beginning in chapter 10. You can just look there for a moment. You see this heading again, the Proverbs of Solomon. Chapters 1 through 9 is, is a, a, a distinct unit of thought in him instructing his sons. And chapters 10 and following is more, more general instructions, more general Proverbs. Certainly they're still attributed to Solomon, but you, you no longer see that competed, uh, repeated refrain. You see it a few times, but not so consistently. So I want us to look together at Proverbs 1, 1 through 7. In verse 1, we see the introduction to the book just giving us the author, as we already read, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And then verse 2 through 6 contains the purpose of the Proverbs. You see repeatedly in those first, or verse 2 to 6, to know wisdom, to discern the sayings, to receive instruction, to give prudence. Um, it just over and over, to understand a proverb, he's... He is saying, here is the purpose of me sitting down with my sons. What is the goal in this conversation of these nine chapters? I want to impart wisdom to you. Now this term wisdom is the term I'm pointing to in the Old Testament to say, this is the biblical picture of maturity. This is what God wants for all of his children This is what Solomon wants for his children. This is what should be the goal in our lives, biblical wisdom. Let's just quickly read through verse 2 through 7 and then unpack these terms together. Solomon says, To know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear an increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This sets the stage for Solomon instructing his sons. As we read through that list, there are eight terms here. Many of them are repeated, but I just want to list these terms off for you and understand these terms are all speaking of this same category of biblical wisdom. These terms are all pointing to this condition of maturity. They are wisdom, instruction, understanding. In verse 4, prudence and knowledge and discretion. In verse 5, learning and wise counsel. These eight terms are the essence of maturity in the Old Testament. Let's consider this first term in verse 2. To know wisdom. 
Now, this term is used in various ways in the Old Testament. Uh, It is used in Exodus 28, verse 3, in the sense of being skillful in technical matters. You don't have to turn there. Just listen to Exodus 28, 3. You shall speak to all these skillful persons whom I have endowed with the spirit of wisdom. That term skillful and wisdom are the same word. Here's the purpose, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister as a priest to me. So he's saying those who are wise in, in this sense, in, in constructing garments for the priest to wear, they are skillful in this. Here's a, another one. Look at Exodus 31. It's a, a similar context to what we just read in Exodus 28. But Exodus 31, I want to read a few more verses here so you can... Take a look at this instruction, this use of the word wisdom. I'm going to pick up in verse 2. God is giving instructions to Moses, and these are instructions for the tabernacle, instructions for worship in Israel. He says, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom in understanding, in knowledge. See, all three of those terms that we are going to see in Proverbs. And in all kinds of craftsmanship. It's an interesting connection. You have him with the Spirit of God and wisdom and understanding and knowledge and craftsmanship. Here's the purpose. To make artistic designs for work in gold and silver and bronze. And you get down to verse 7 and see this is to be used in the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony and the mercy seat upon it and all the furniture of the tent. So God has called this one who is skillful or who is wise in this craftsmanship to, uh, to assemble all of these elements of Israel's worship. So, so the, at a most basic level, this is speaking of an incredible skill, someone who is fully developed in their craft or skill. Back to our definition of maturity, this would be someone who has reached that condition of being fully developed in this skill. Carry that concept of skill into the usage of wisdom uh, in the sense of, of biblical understanding. Just a verse you're probably familiar with, Psalm 90, verse 12. As Moses uh, asked of the Lord, So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. What does he mean in this context? A heart of wisdom. He is speaking still of that Old Testament concept of wisdom being skill, but here he's speaking of skill in godly wisdom. Teach us to acknowledge the brevity of our life so that we do not squander it, but so that we would apply the truth in godly wisdom. This is the condition of being trained in knowing God's word and fully developed in applying it. It is skill in godly living. There's a contrast in the book of Proverbs between wisdom and folly. Wisdom and foolishness. Who is the fool in Scripture? Look at Jeremiah 4.22. Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 22. I select this verse because he addresses Israel as being foolish, and then... All of the clauses afterwards describe what he means by being foolish. Jeremiah chapter 4 verse 22. He says, For my people are foolish. They know me not. They are stupid children and have no understanding. 
They are shrewd to do evil, but to do good they do not know. Just look at these phrases for a moment. Here, my people are foolish, and how does he describe foolish? Not knowing him. So they're not, they're not skilled or, or competent in a knowledge of God. This phrase there, stupid children, the stupid, the root word there is, is playful or playing. The idea is that everything is a joke to them. This is all a game. They can't take anything seriously. He says they have no understanding. They're not able to arrive at a proper comprehension of what is true, of what is reality. He says they are shrewd to do evil. That word shrewd, you guessed it, that's the biblical word for wisdom. They are wise or skillful in doing evil. They are not skilled in godly living, but they're skillful in doing evil. That's the fool, the complete opposite of wisdom. Knowing God's word and being able to apply it in the moment, the fool, on the other hand, is skilled in doing evil. They don't know God's word, and they do not apply it. They actually uh, are able to conceive of ways to commit evil and rebellion against the Lord. He says, in contrast, but to do good, they do not know. The idea of just ignorance. Their ignorance is expressed in how they live. One more uh, quick verse of foolishness. Uh, You don't have to turn there, but Psalm 107, verse 17, he speaks of someone who is afflicted, and he says this way, fools because of their rebellious ways and because of their iniquities were afflicted. Now, I, I taught Psalm 107 last summer. These are different pictures of those that God delivers out of the consequences of their own sin, their own foolishness, their own weakness. And here, this is God goes on to save this person who is a fool. And notice the, what's caught them in their folly is their rebellious ways, their iniquities. This has nothing to do with a lack of intelligence, but a lack of submission to the Lord. So when you think wise and, and foolish, do not think one is uh, intellectually intelligent and the other is, is intellectually incompetent. It's not the case. The fool is capable of understanding things. But they are stubborn. They refuse to listen to wisdom. They would rather run after their pleasure. The, his, his folly is not spiritual. It is not, I'm sorry, his folly is spiritual. It's not mental. It's not that he can't understand wisdom. The fool refuses to listen. He has found no place in his heart for God's truth. A commentator that's excellent in the book of Proverbs, his name is John Kitchen. He says, He calls foolishness this, a hardened case of moral stubbornness and stupidity. Hardened case of moral stubbornness. That's the idea. Nothing to do with intellect here. All to do with a a hardened heart. Let's look back to Proverbs 1. Now that you have a biblical understanding there of wisdom, you see the contrast down in verse 7. Fools despise wisdom. They show contempt for wisdom. They loathe wisdom. It, it pains them. Why does wisdom pain the fool? Because it exposes their folly. Wisdom, uh, a definition from the wise Todd Murray. He says, supernatural skill for supernatural living. Folly, the natural skill for ungodly living. We are born with foolishness. We'll see that a, a little bit later. 
But here, the emphasis here behind wisdom is skill that God imparts to not only understand his word, but to apply it, the skill for godly living. The Proverbs speak so highly of wisdom. Uh, I do not have time, so I'm going to skip over all of these descriptions of the benefit and the value of wisdom, but just know there are many. Look at this next term here, to know wisdom and instruction. Instruction is a term for correction or admonishment. John Kitchen calls it education through correction. This word assumes that there will be failure. On the path to maturity, the path to wisdom, you and I need instruction. We need correction. Why? Because we're not born wise. We're born foolish. We'll see that in Proverbs twenty-two, fifteen, a verse that every parent should, should know very well. This verse of correction or education through correction implies that we will be tripped up. We will have areas of misunderstanding. So the word instruction is a a word for training and correcting so that you do not continue to make those same missteps, those same misjudgments, live in the same folly. It is humble and wise to welcome correction into your life. Back down to verse 7, fools despise wisdom and instruction. They despise being corrected. <laughs> the fool wants to continue in their, uh, their moral stubbornness. They do not want correction into their life. The wise is humble to receive this correction, this instruction that redirects us. It shows us the biblical way. The, uh, the implication is that we are being corrected for our error, but we're not just, uh, just stubbornly rebuked as though we get consequences. We're shown the right path, the biblical path for wisdom. Maturity is not arrived at without instruction. Look at that verse, Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. This is the essence of parent- parenting. We are continually instructing. We're taking every opportunity to teach what is right and to provide for them the essential education through correction. Listen to Proverbs twenty-two fifteen: Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. This term bound up is the idea of twisting two things together. The child's heart, their inner man, uh, the, who they are is so deeply intertwined with foolishness that the two are, are twisted together in a knot. How can foolishness be separated from the heart of the child? The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. I thought we were talking about instruction. That's right. That word discipline is our term for instruction. How does foolishness get out of the, the heart of a child? It is untwined by this biblical instruction, the rod of discipline. Now, rod here certainly implies correction for disobedience, uh, correction for error. But this term instruction is not merely limited to error, but, but includes all of our teaching. So we are certainly correcting when there er- there's error, but we're also setting them down the right path even when... They're not in error. We want to prepare them to arrive at the place of maturity. Maturity cannot be arrived at without instruction, without discipline. This idea is instruction confronts folly. It teaches the child the consequences of foolishness. It it points them on the path to wisdom. 
is the parent's loving instruction through the rod of, of discipline that untwists the knot of foolishness and relinquishes the child's heart from this grip of foolishness. Let's go back to verse 2. Solomon continues telling his boys the benefit of these Proverbs. He says, to discern the sayings of understanding. Now, discernment is the path to understanding. It is the ability to cut through the fog of human reasoning and, and to shine God's spotlight of wisdom on a situation. So when you think of discernment, it is, it is cutting through all the error and arriving at God's conclusion. What is the conclusion we, we land at? It is this term, understanding. This is, in the most basic sense, it is the knowledge of something, but it is the, the appropriate, the right knowledge of something. It's to say, through discernment, we are able to arrive at the right conclusion. We can know the need of the moment. Uh, there is right and there is wrong. There is truth and there is error. It is the mature who is able to spot which is which. Is this right? Is this wrong? Is this truth? Is this error? The scriptures are what equip us for this maturity. Maturity is shining God's light of discernment on, on our lives and arriving at the place of living righteously. Understanding is the ability to ask, what will be the pitfall in this situation? How can I avoid it? What is the, the path of folly that I, I will fall down if I go down this path? Where does this lead? What is the spiritual result of this practice in my life? What are the results of me spending my time doing this, spending my time with these people, watching this movie, spending this time on this hobby, speaking to people this way, treating others this way, responding to these trials this way? The discernment and the knowledge that we are to arrive at is found here in the Proverbs, the Scripture. The biblical wisdom gives us that discernment. Verse 3 goes on to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity. This is Solomon highlighting that these Proverbs are not merely to fill your head with knowledge. It, certainly they do fill your head with knowledge, but you are receiving, there's our same word instruction here, this correction, so that our behavior, the pattern of our life, would be characterized by wisdom. Skill in godly living. This is not merely an academic exercise. It is equipping us to live wisely and to know why to live this way. These instructions are not just good opinions of how to live, but notice they are the only path to righteousness, justice, and equity. Just think about those terms of defining what is right, what is just, what is equitable. There are so many false paths in this world that claim to be the path to these virtues, but in reality, they pervert righteousness. They distort justice. They care nothing about biblical equity or integrity. The world redefines each of these categories. It is only biblical maturity that arrives at this end, where we can actually live a life defined as righteousness, justice, and equity. John Kitchen says, feeding on the Proverbs not only helps you distinguish God's choice in any situation, but why it is his choice. Insight is not given for the stuffy halls of academia, but for the trenches of daily life. The scriptures equip us to apply the word of God in our daily lives. Maturity in this sense is not only knowing the right answer, but why it's the right answer. 
and how you should live because it's the right answer. So if you lack skill in godly living, you need to be reminded you need biblical wisdom from the scriptures. Verse 4, he says, To give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge and discretion. Prudence here is foresight. It is spiritual perception. The opposite of prudence would be someone who is short-sighted. Uh, the, the idea of this spiritual perception is you can see through trouble and avoid it. Uh, you, you can see an opportunity and you can attain it. Uh, the negative aspect of this term, it's actually used negatively. Prudence is used in a negative sense of someone being crafty. What would that mean? It's the same ability of foresight, but the person who is crafty is manipulative. They're using their foresight to get about an evil means. Uh, you see, they, they say, oh, if I act this way, I'm going to get my will over here. Uh, that's the negative sense. Positively, it's someone who can perceive where this path ends, and then they respond, but with that knowledge, by walking righteously down that path. Who do, who do the Proverbs give prudence to? Notice what he says here. Prudence to the naive. The naive is the one who is open and vulnerable to any influence. Gullible is the idea. Someone who lacks judgment. Someone who cannot filter out the content that they're hearing. They, they have no discernment in the moment. If people are acting this way, they just follow right along. They hear something and they are not able to identify the error. They, they can't say this goes against the principle of Scripture uh, you might have heard as an open mind being a good thing. You should have an open mind. Biblically, the scripture calls that someone a naive fool. You, you don't want an open mind when it comes to the truth of the scripture. You want a mind that is carefully hemmed in by God's word. You're not open to, remember back to Ephesians 4 verse 14, every wind of doctrine. You're not tossed or thrown around. Why? Because the word of God has given you prudence. It has given you spiritual foresight. You can see through the error. Oh, I can spot that heresy from a mile away. Why? Not because I'm brilliant. Because I know the scriptures. You know, this is the, the benefit of the prudence. It, it, it closes in, it hems in our open mind so that we think not our natural thoughts, but we think God's thoughts. He goes on to say, to the youth, knowledge and discretion. This knowledge here is the accumulation of observation. It is the opposite of ignorance, someone who cannot connect the dots. This person is able to make observations, and they're able to, uh, kind of like discernment here, but arrive at the right conclusions. Now, what's interesting about this term knowledge is this, these observations could be yours, or they could be others. So the one who is biblically wise and mature doesn't have to learn everything the hard way. They do not have to learn by experiencing everything themselves to receive biblical knowledge is to say, I know where this path ends. I have spiritual foresight. I'm no longer naive. And it's not because I've lived a longer life than everyone. It's because I've taken God at his word. So now I have knowledge of this area. Not because I have experienced that sin or I have experienced everything that could happen in life, but because God's word has instructed me. I, I love to go to Psalm 119, 99, and 100, and I've exhorted the teens with this passage many times. Just listen to what the psalmist says there. 
I have more insight than all my teachers. You think, that sounds like pride. That sounds like arrogance. No, listen to the next part. For your testimonies are my meditation. Why could the psalmist have more insight, more knowledge, able to connect the dots more than his teachers? Because he is meditating on the scripture. Verse 100 of Psalm 119. I understand more than the aged. Psalmist, you're being proud. No, listen to him. Because I have observed your precepts. How could a young person live with wisdom beyond their years? They have observed, they have devoted themselves to understanding God's word. Uh, the, the person who has uh, biblical maturity doesn't have to live through every experience to know the proper way to respond in the moment. It is not as though they, they know everything. Paul in Romans 11.25 actually connects someone being uninformed to someone being wise in their own estimation. He says, I do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery so that you will not be wise in your own estimation. Now, Pastor Mark will take us there soon. I'm just highlighting the connection between being uninformed and being wise in your own estimation. We think we're really intelligent when we don't know anything. Isn't this strange? Like, it, ignorance goes hand in hand with pride. And the scriptures seek to inform us and humble us at the same time. So we're not arrogantly saying, oh, I know so much, but rather the scriptures are giving knowledge to the youth, giving discretion to the youth so that this person is able to have knowledge beyond their years and they're able to apply it beyond their years. Verse 5, a wise man will hear an increase in learning and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. You may say, I already have a degree of wisdom and maturity. Excellent. You're on the path to getting more. (laughs) Notice what he says here. A wise man will hear and increase in learning. He is saying wisdom begets more wisdom. A degree of maturity leads to the next degree of maturity. Someone who is wise is, is humble and teachable. So when they have the opportunity to hear more and to learn and to grow They utilize that opportunity. A man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. This man of understanding gets this counsel. This term for counsel is the way that a ship is steered. It describes navigation or guidance is the idea. The the opposite would be something wandering aimlessly. It has no direction. It, it, It has nothing to steer it in the proper way. Just think about this in this context. Those who do not listen to the word of God have no direction in their life. They're they're not able to arrive at the place of maturity. Think, where are you and where are you going? The person who is a humble student of the scripture, who is biblically wise, will have direction. The mature person is not aimlessly wandering through life. They know God's will for them. They know what their life is, the purpose of their life is to be. Verse 6, to understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. This is an interesting benefit of the word of God in your life. It gives you the ability to not only understand the words being said, but the implications for your life. That's the idea of a proverb and a figure or a riddle. 
It's something being said that there is a deeper meaning behind it. Now here, this biblical wisdom, this maturity, is discerning the sense other than the obvious one. The ability to see principles that the Scripture is communicating, and not just merely repeating what the verse says, but understanding its implications for our lives. Hopefully you've experienced this in listening to a sermon. You experience this all the time in hearing God's Word taught, where, where the pastor who is rightly dividing the Word is able to draw out a principle that you would not have gotten at first glance of this passage. What's happening in that moment, they are drawing out the deeper meaning, the, uh, not just a surface-level casual reading, but drawing out the implications for life. How do I live in light of what God has said? This is the understanding that biblical wisdom equips us to have. John Kitchen says the path of wisdom leads not only to understanding plain statements of truth, but also more enigmatic, indirect statements that carry a stream of wisdom that lies beneath the surface of the obvious and is only tapped by the one who meditates upon them. It's biblical wisdom there. Verse 7 teaches us the first step on the path to maturity and the chief enemy of maturity in the second half. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. We'll just start at the back side of it, uh, because we've already highlighted these terms, wisdom and instruction, and fools here. So, fools despise wisdom and instruction. The enemy of maturity in your life, biblical maturity, is foolishness. Stubborn unbelief, hardening your heart. On the other hand, what is the path to maturity? The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is this beginning of knowledge. He'll say later, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The terms wisdom and knowledge being, being near synonyms, describing this person has reached biblical maturity. Where does wisdom come from? How do I get maturity in my life? Here's the first step. Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. How do I have, I don't have time for my full definition, how do I have this reverence, this fear, this awe, not a, a terror that causes me to run away from God, but a desire to draw near to Him and yield to His Word and worship Him. That's the fear of the Lord. How do I get that? Two verses here, so we've got to close our time up. Deuteronomy 4.10, Moses stands before Israel and he says this, Remember the day you stood before Yahweh your God at Horeb. What happened at Horeb? When Yahweh said to me, Assemble the people to me, that I may let them hear my words. This is where Moses read the law to God's people, read them his words. Listen to God's purpose. So that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on earth, and that they may teach their children. How do you arrive at the fear of the Lord? Hearing the word of God, knowing the word of God, receiving the word of God by faith. One last one there establishing this truth is in Psalm 119, verse 38. The psalmist says, establish your word to your servant as that which produces reverence for you, fear for you. The psalmist says, I know what will cultivate the fear of God in my heart that will lead me down the path of wisdom. It's fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is what you and I desperately need. The word of God leads to the fear of the Lord. 
And the fear of the Lord leads to wisdom, leads to maturity. In summary, maturity is the goal of our lives. Maturity is the goal of our parenting. Maturity is the goal of our discipleship. Maturity is the goal of our preaching in Ephesians 4. How do we grow in maturity? We need God's wisdom. We need biblical instruction. And to gain biblical wisdom, we must fear the Lord. It's not merely hearing the truth, but receiving it with reverent awe and worship, receiving it by faith. To gain the fear of the Lord, we must hear the word and believe it. Now, the whole goal of this message this evening has just been to establish the goal of maturity for us. So that, that is what I am setting before us, and we'll pick this up on April 16th. But as of right now, let's all of us commit as a body, as individuals, to identify biblical maturity in our lives and to strive for it by hearing the Word of God, receiving it by faith, and applying biblical wisdom in the moment, walking in the fear of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for biblical instruction. You're so kind to reveal yourself to us through your word. How could we ever fear you only by hearing your word? How could anyone ever be saved only by hearing your word, receiving your word by faith? So, Father, we're grateful this evening to be able to open the scriptures. We know that it is the scriptures that accomplish maturity. So we proclaim him, we proclaim Christ through his word, teaching every man and admonishing every man for the goal, for this purpose, so that every one of us in this church who profess Christ would be complete in Christ, would be mature in Christ. Father, so continue this wondrous work that you are doing in our midst of, of cultivating maturity in us, in doing so through your word, continue to give us clarity and discernment so that we would apply your word, so that we would identify it and cultivate it in the hearts of those that we minister to. So it would be the purpose of our life of striving in this maturity. Because that is what honors you. That is your purpose for us in our Christian life, in our sanctification, is that we would reach maturity. And by your grace, we pray that we would do that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.